0: top.
1: <laughs> this is part two of, I don't remember what we're calling it. How Kid
0: talk, but also real talk. Kid
1: talk. Kid talk sounds like it could be some NBC after school well, special I like show. I talk we were, though.
0: I don't know what we're going to call it. Real talk.
1: Um, this is part two and we are continuing our conversation on what we've done in our own homes, talking to children about hard subjects. And uh, part one was sex consent, masturbation, masturbation, even abortion. Abortion. And then part 2, now we're going to talk about talking with your children about race and racism. And we got some questions on the Instagram yeah. for this topic yeah. specifically, right? We well, did. this was also this whole episode was kind of born out of people some people had asked us yes, how we address these topics
0: with our kids and so
1: this is this is also because People have kind of wanted to know. Yes,
0: and I want to like tell the story. So Nicole and I were at one of our favorite people's uh, bridal shower, and two women walked in. I hadn't seen them since well before the uh, pandemic, and one is black, and the other one is white, but married to a black person, mm-hmm. and they both have children. And they sat down. They're like, um, "So we've been listening to your podcast," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, you have." And they said, "Yeah." They're like, "It's good." But how about y'all talk about talking to our kids about race? I was yeah. like, what? what? And I'm thinking, whoa. I was a little taken aback because yeah. I was like, whoa, this is a, a person who is black and a person who is married to a black person with mm-hmm. biracial children. Yeah. And it wasn't like they were without um like without skills or without ability, but what they were saying and Nicole, I don't even understand how these internalized message can messages know. continue to happen but both of them had shared that their daughter specifically mm-hmm. complained about their black hair mm-hmm. why do I have to have this mm-hmm. hair? Why do I have to look like the way I do mm-hmm. somehow this this um, this kind of implicit, they've received this implicit message that whiteness somehow is better. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I'm listening to them and I'm reeling back to the conversations we've had that they've heard us have. And our re- my reality as a kid, I didn't have any brown dolls. yeah, And yet now we have brown dolls. Right. There's way more representation than right. there's ever been. Obviously there's room for more. And I'm sitting here like, are you kidding? And then I thought about the stories in my own life yeah. with my own children, two of whom are white, presenting one who is brown. And I think about the dynamics that even have happened between them, right? And the acts of overt racism that have occurred, yeah, uh, either toward them or between them, mm-hmm. and and these messages that they have received that are born out of white supremacy, and I guess yeah. the demon of the demon of whiteness, of white. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not talking about, I'm not saying white people are demons. Yes. I'm saying the culture of whiteness, which yes. perpe- perpetuates supremacies, I think can very much be born out of demonic tendencies. Because anyone who seems to oppress and tell another that they are not okay, that is an act not of God. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I just don't want people who are white to be like, are you
1: saying I'm that white people are demons? No. no, I'm not That's saying not that. That's not what anyone's saying. Um. But is it evil to believe that one group of people are better? Yes. Are people walking around thinking that they're thinking, believing that? No. That's the problem. That's the other thing. No one, most people are not walking around like I am white and I am supreme. That's not what's happening. And yet, you have little black girls internalizing the message in white in the white culture, even if they're not being raised directly in white culture. That whiteness is still more beautiful, more attractive, more desirable, more appealing. Um, and that hasn't – in so many ways, that hasn't changed. It's gotten a lot better, like we were just saying, but that's still what people are consuming. That's what's like wrapped up around – it's the air you breathe, right? It's the mm-hmm. – well, I heard one person say – who said this? Sonia Renee Taylor said it's not the – whiteness isn't the water – or whiteness isn't the shark, it's the water, right? Hmm, yeah. It's, it's, it's all, all around us. And whiteness is the construct. Right. It's the construct. It's not a person. We're not talking mm-hmm. about a person. And also, like, I'm raising my hand here saying, of course, I have benefited from whiteness. I have, you know, been victim of whiteness and I have biases of whiteness. All of those things are true all at the same time. Yeah. So um, it's a real thing.
0: And race I think is I think it's important to let kids know that race in and of itself is a construct. That race was created to define people groups, but I think it's important and I and I say this on my training. So mm-hmm. races are like white, black, Hispanic, Asian, all right. And then you have ethnicity. Right. And ethnicities are the are the Um, are the areas throughout the world from which your family came. So racially, I'm Asian. Ethnically, I'm Indian or Punjabi. If I want to get real specific, I say Punjabi, Irish, Polish, French. That's how, and my nationality is of the United States. My nationality is not India. I, I don't, I'm not I don't hold a passport from India. I think it's important to let kids understand what these things are. Mm -hmm. And that racism is when any group or people excludes or thinks another is inferior based on biological traits.
1: Right. Literally skin color or features.
0: Features, any of these kinds of things. Or even, well,
1: there's even racism that's just ethnically motivated, like... I don't want to say just, but where people groups look exactly the same. In fact, oh yeah, um, and yet they're still. We saw that in Rwanda. In Rwanda, right, is coming mm-hmm. to my mind. So where you have genocide happening, where people groups are actually not distinguishable based on any physical characteristics. Yeah, um, and that's so good. I um, I'll get super simple and basic. One of the very first things I've done with all of my kids when they're very little is talk about melanin, mm. and I think that. That might seem like really super simplistic to people, um, but I don't think that I don't even know that a lot of adults know that literally the only difference in people's is the amount of melanin in their skin, and that melanin is a like it's what pigments your skin. It's an enzyme in your skin. That that's that's it. And there are some really good books for kids. Um, I can't remember one of them is the Color of Us, and there's a couple others. I'll add them to the show notes for this episode if people want to look those up. Um, But I like those, I like starting that as a starting point because it kind of gives little kids like language like, oh, that's why that person Mm. has a different skin color than me. Like my kids, when they were very little noticed, oh, mommy's skin is browner than mine. Why Mm. is that? And then they would like line us up at the table. Like it would go me, then Riley, she has the next amount of melanin in her. And then, and then probably and then we would go down the line. And then my littlest one was like, I have the like really fair skin. Like I have really white skin. Yes, you do. You have less melanin in your skin. Mm. It actually, it demystifies for kids this thing of like, why does that person have this deep, rich skin tone? And why does this person have this light, fair skin tone? And it's a kind of cool thing for them to just know. And Mm. also God made it. And I love being able to say that too. Like this was God's design. This wasn't some accident and this wasn't born out of superiority. These people aren't better because they have more of a pigment in their skin or less of a pigment in their skin and so forth. So I like that. That's what I like when they're really little. That's kind of one of the starting points. And I know you and I both, we've talked about this in other episodes, but like, and this is still really hard for people. It's like a new concept for people, but colorblindness, like do not promote colorblindness. I don't promote Mm -hmm. colorblindness. I don't want – That's
0: actually an act of racism.
1: Yeah. I don't want my children to grow up thinking that they're not noticing that people are of a different race or ethnicity. I mean, I don't actually know how you, like with a straight face, say that you don't see color. Yeah. It is so insulting to me. Of course you do. Of course you notice if someone is a different skin color than you. If you notice they're wearing a blue shirt, then you notice if they have a different skin color. I, yeah. I Don't be an ass, okay? Just be honest. And then that's born out of fear. Like, well, I don't want to talk about that. I want to pretend like it's not happening. No, you want to pretend like you don't see skin color because you're uncomfortable yeah. and because you're afraid and you don't know how to have those conversations. But don't, don't lie. Don't lie and say you don't know and you don't notice because yeah. we all know that's not true. Um, it's honoring of people. It's honoring of people. It's honoring of God, the people that God made and loves. It's honoring of their image and their their Christ-like image and their reflection of the creator and all of those things to notice that people look differently than you. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of the
0: best ways to love someone. Mm -hmm. And yet there is a whole stream of Christian so-called, I won't, gift them the the title theologians mm. who are coming against this very <laughs> yes. thing. I think they are actually massacring the heart of God and the Absolutely. the truth of scripture by coming against the idea that we should be talking Absolutely. about this, specifically through critical race theory. And critical race theory uh, basically says, let's tell the story of people through the people who lived its yeah. eyes. Right. That the stories no longer get to be told just by people of whiteness. Mm-hmm. They get to be told by everybody.
1: Yeah. Now, that's not to say that you like see a black man at, you know, the grocery store and you like go up and you're like, I see your dark skin, sir. No.
0: <laughs> okay, don't do that either. Don't make yourself a caricature. That's not an invitation <laughs> them to like point out that yeah. someone is
1: black or they're Latino or they're Asian, or whatever. But it is to say, don't pretend like it's not, a, it's that they're not a person of color. Yeah. And when opportunity arises and if you're in relationship with them or building relationship with them, don't pretend like it's not happening. And- and ask questions and be attentive and honoring of their experience. Yes,
0: and every single person of color of different genders, religions, they are going to have different experiences mm-hmm. with their skin tone, with their with and their relationship to that skin tone. Right. We see some people in the media right now who might be people of color, but they uphold whiteness mm-hmm. by minimizing the fact that they might be black or that there's difference. Yeah. There is just different. There's difference in a lot of things. We're not going to go, but in into all of that. But, um, you know, I will go straight out. So we were at lunch five years. Oh, no, it wasn't that long ago. It was, I will tell you who it was. It was Judah. He was in pre-K, so he was three or four. And his best friend is black. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of other kids in the class who were dark-skinned. And there was some sort of issue of racism that I think, in retrospect, that had happened mm. that, I, that we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. So we're at an Indian restaurant. Oh, right? I remember this story. We're all – the, the five of us are sitting down to lunch, Indian restaurant. And we are surrounded by people of color, mm-hmm. mostly Indians. Yeah. And my son – in earshot of everybody, says to me and me and Greg, are brown people bad? Mm-hmm. And Greg just was like, <laughs> "Yeah, he was like, is this happening? Wanna, he's like, I want to go and get my chicken tikka masala. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We need to address this. And I was like, okay, the boy is three. Right. So let's figure this out. And I looked at him and now all of the heads are turned yeah. in our direction. Yeah. And there's discomfort, you yeah. know, because it's not like Indians like to go around talking about racism and right. race and all of this. Oh, kind of you thing. don't do you? And, uh, no. <laughs> so everybody's turned their head, and it's like, whoa, discomfort. This, you know, and Judah is one of my children who presents white. So I said, "Well, what color skin does mommy have?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "Brown." I said, "What about Grandpa? Brown." What about Ariel? Brown. And I, li- what about his best friend, mm-hmm. Brown? And I went through a lot. And I yeah. said, do you think any of us are bad? Mm-hmm. And he said, no. And I said, then in answering your question, are Brown people bad? What do you think the answer is? Mm-hmm. He said, they are not. Mm-hmm. And I said, and that's something that you have arrived to yeah, based on your experience. Right. And I said, people can tell stories about whatever they want to tell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but be careful when somebody creates a story about a very specific person and makes those type of people bad. Yeah. And I said, those stories are very rarely true. That's good. And everybody just went back to eating. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And it, it hasn't, it didn't come, like, Juno's going to be seven on Saturday. Like I I think I already said that in the last episode. I'm excited. I can't believe he's going to be seven. <laughs> seven. Seven. And, um, but that happened. That happened. My my child yes this happened
1: in public i think though that it's such a good it's uh, it's also what we what we started the episode talking about that it is it's inherent this thinking and so even if you're a brown or black child and you don't even know that it's happening you're just consuming messages on a daily basis that whiteness is better that lighter skin is better yeah. white is bright is I mean that's the like it's better and so you're taking that in even if you don't know that you're taking that in that is part of the challenge and the ongoing way for the child of color okay so a couple we had before we started recording we you know Renee and I were saying the conversation you have with a white child yeah. about race and racism is quite different and should be quite different than the conversation you have about race and r- racism with a child of color. Now, could you talk to everybody about melanin? Absolutely, that you should. Um, hopefully, you want to do that. But I'm gonna share this quote from um, from my my Beverly Daniel Tatum that I love so much that I've referenced this book on this podcast a lot. So it's why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? I actually think that this book probably for I mean, I think I would want everyone to read it. But mm-hmm. for parents especially, she goes through the five stages of um, racial identity development. Mm. And I think any parent of a child of color would greatly benefit from reading this book. And I'm not going to talk about all the stages because that's not what this episode is. But um, it's when I read it, it was so helpful for me. And I identified so much with those stages. Like, I think any person of color who's gone through this would would read it and be like, "Oh, I, that's my that's my story." Yeah. And you can chart it. And she she uses lots of statistical research to back up these these stages, and it's really really brilliant. But she says this about the difference between talking to a child of color versus a white child on um, race. Okay, she says. <clears throat> Where is it? While the task for people of color is to resist negative societal messages and develop an empowered sense of self in the face of a racist society, for whites, it is to develop a positive white identity based in reality, Mm -hmm. not on assumed superiority. In order to do that, each person must become aware of his or her whiteness, accept it as personally and socially significant, and learn to feel good about it, not in the sense of a Klan member's white pride, but in the context of a commitment to a just society. Hmm. And I love that because I think one thing, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, I'll talk about the child of color part second, but you know, for her to say that her hope would be for a white person to actually feel good about being white from the standpoint of their commitment to helping create a just society, mm. that is so empowering. And what the message we hear A lot and what we have heard a lot definitely through 2020 and 2021 is whiteness is bad or or you feel shame for being white right Mm. like I actually felt ashamed of my whiteness Mm. in 2020 I did not want to be white yeah and I I had to work through that I mean I was so disappointed and so angry and so hurt um that I wanted to you know disassociate from from my whiteness and so I get that, but for to to take it from an empowered standpoint of like I have whiteness, or in, in my case, I'm white presenting. That is an actually an empowering place. And I can love people well because of it. I can actually love people, and I can love people of color even um, from an empowered place because I'm white presenting and I have privilege attached to that. That is way different that's a very different message to give a white child and say you get to make the choice to be committed to um equity and loving your neighbor and that part of your skin color actually can help you do that and here's how Mm -hmm. i love that i that's like flipping it on its head and um but then she says for the child of color You know, they have to, or she's talking about not just child, but people of color, to resist negative societal messages and develop an empowered sense of self. So what we were talking about, being a brown child or a black child and resisting the societal messages, the negative stereotypes, resisting the stereotypes that black is, you know, uh, inferior, less intelligent, um, only, you know, black boys play sports. Um... Black girls' hair is not attractive, you know. Fatherlessness, all of the stereotypes we hear, right? That go on and on. Proclivity towards crime, whatever you want to say. They're they're having to do the work of resisting those negative stereotypes. Mm-hmm. That's part of the work for parents of children of color. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's fair, because it's not. <laughs> it's actually the last thing from fair. It's painful. That that is the reality that that parents of children of color have to say, I'm going to help you on an ongoing basis to resist these negative stereotypes that, this, yeah. that society wants to put on you and help you form positive stereotypes in your mind about who you are and help you develop an empowered sense of self. Yeah. That is harder work. 100%. It's harder work. And I'm not going to sit here and say, it's not, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh well you know you just do it I don't actually even know how you do it I just know that it's important and and that's my hope for children of color that, that they're being empowered in their true their true self yes
0: our friend Earl they use the term black boy joy yes yes and which I love this idea of black joy and even when and before I go to the second part of what Nicole is saying and just echoing Desmond Tutu um, has this kind of spirit of allyship mm-hmm. quote that I will post up on show notes. But it reflects this this African word. I can't, is it Swahili? Oof, I might have it wrong, but it's Ubuntu. Yeah, and Ubuntu. it's essentially our humanity is wrapped up. There's a poem I will link to. It's a Native American poem in, in La Gek. And it's, you are my other me. Mm-hmm, so beautiful. And this idea that if we can actually come to a point where people of whiteness, whether they are white presenting or actually white, If we can come to a point of allyship slash advocacy, those words are coming into contention right now Mm -hmm. because you shouldn't call yourself an ally. Other people should call you an ally. ally. But advocacy means that no matter who we are, are we stepping into those spaces as, is it Daniel Tatum or Tatum Daniel? Um, It's Daniel Tatum. That Daniel Tatum says is, is... Acting like that. And then Nicole makes this very, very astute point that the conversations that we are going to have are going to be very, very different. My conversations with Ariel, my brown-presenting child, is very different than the ones with Eva and Judah. And we've had to talk about that together. Mm -hmm. I've had to tell Eva and Judah, your sister... As she moves through the world, it is going to be different Mm -hmm. than you two because you have an – I've talked to them about privilege. You have an embedded privilege Mm -hmm. based on your skin color. And the fact that right now it's a majority. They say the next census when it's run, it's probably – whiteness is probably not going to be the majority by the time. Mm -hmm. that It's going to be a multicultural majority by 2050. So there's there's those kinds of things, and of course Ariel, we've had to fight with her curly hair because she's got all of this this all of the different strands, ha ha, pun intended, <laughs> from Greg and me and her grandpa all having curly hair, and Ariel has all of them combined. <laughs> so it's like, okay, how do we figure out a product that works for her? Her skin color, of course, all of these things that we we I have to address in a more delicate way, right? And then we think about. When you were talking about Nicole, um, you know, black and brown parents having to have these conversations with their children about engaging their joy. And at the same time, talking to them about behavior in front of the police. 100%. At the same time, having to be uh, having to talk about how not to be tokenized in a classroom 100%. without bearing the responsibility of being tokenized in a classroom. 100%. One of my close friends and, and business partners, she uh, is a Middle Eastern woman who presents as white. mm mm-hmm. And she's been an English professor for 25, going on 30 years. And she said one of her biggest devastations as a teacher in a predominantly white school that has more and more people of color uh, being represented, Mm -hmm. she said once there was a a black person in class and she asked that student about their experience as a means to Fold right. that student's experience yep. into the conversation. Yeah. And then afterwards, the student spoke to her and said, that really made me feel uncomfortable and Correct. put on the spot and tokenized. Yeah. And she It's was heartbreaking. Devastated. Okay, literally in this
1: book, Beverly Daniel Tatum talks about, because she's a professor, she's a PhD, but she's a professor, she teaches, and she said, she says, she has a section where she says, how do you ask students of color to share their experience without tokenizing them? Yeah. And then she says, I don't know. Yeah. She straight up says that. I mean, this mm-hmm. is her life's work and she says, "I don't know. It's yeah. very tricky. It's very difficult. It's very nuanced. Yeah. You want to hear from children of color and you want to have their share, you want to hear about their experiences, but man, it's a very fine line between doing yeah. that and tokenizing them." Yes. And I'm I'm not going to say that I have some answer. What I've done in our home is try, you know, y'all you know that. I homeschool and so it's a big part of my children's education is me having the opportunity to really to put in front of them stuff I want them to read and know about. And for at least for now, if they're not necessarily being exposed to those direct ethnicities, I can, we can read stories together and we can talk about them in an honoring way without us being, you know, without the risk of tokenizing. Yeah. And that's really hard. Um because I think most people of color have felt like that at some point. Like yes. you've experienced that is a terrible feeling.
0: And some of them will feel that, and That's some right, of them and won't. Some of them some won't. It might right. be their honor. And I will That's say right. this only because this is what my doctoral research is on. And I went through my qualitative data today, no, no. and I got it. I got it all coded. And I, oh, well, my pre, my pre, my pre survey data is coded. I my post survey hasn't come in yet. I got a lot of coding left, but this <laughs> doctorate is going to be done. I can't in believe three you're going to be a PhD. I am so excited. Anyway, so my research is on building inclusive classrooms mm-hmm. uh, and and the people responsible for doing that. In my research is faculty and what I created a a tool of inclusive behaviors and one of them is about creating dynamic uh, one of the behaviors is in, in creating dynamic uh, engagement and mm. opportunities for these kinds of yeah. environments. And one of the components in these behaviors is inviting cultural expressions without mm. tokenizing. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through my data, these professors were like, you know, yeah. that's a hard one it's to hard. do. But then you think about inclusive practices, Nicole, and what we were saying. Mm, And These, of course, are meant for businesses and organizations and faculty and all of that. But truly, they're meant for people to uphold. And what they are is this, drawing in perspectives, multifaceted perspectives, Mm -hmm. so that the only lens through which your children, whether they're white or Mm non-white, the lens through which they see has to be multifaceted. That's right. And when the lens through which they see is multifaceted, Mm -hmm. it expands their ability ability to know, yeah, and so it good. expands their ability to understand that there are multifaceted perspectives yeah. that can speak to the same situation. Mm-hmm. This will also help them be more inclusive of opposing viewpoints. Yeah, that's right. Where I can say, like, like Fitzgerald, my favorite quote that I uh, haven't memorized, but mentioned in some episode, which is, the mark of a truly great mind is the ability to hold two opposing ideas without breaking, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's a paraphrase. Yeah. So it's that. So it's for faculty members specifically. And I was English faculty for 17 years. So I taught out of all of these amazing anthologies. And because I came up under a lot of white men professors, Mm -hmm. I got to know Raymond Carver and Ernest Hemingway and Anton Chekhov and uh F Scott Fitzgerald The Great White Men all right and they were fantastic but a truly inclusive literature class right. incorporates the canon which include mm-hmm. those white men and then moves into the Alice Walkers the Amy Tans mm-hmm. the Jumbo Lahiri's, the Hodgins the David Sedaris um the Andre Debus he's a person with a disability that now and not even in literature, but now you look at STEM and you look at all of the research that is emerging from people of color. Mm-hmm. And you think about the research that we're giving to students as research that was published 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. That shit is old. Yeah. So what if I present to a Hispanic student a STEM-published, peer-reviewed paper yeah. from a person from their ethnic yeah. background? Yeah, absolutely. Inclusion occurs now yeah. that person sees themselves yeah. reflected back yeah. without being tokenized. Without being tokenized, right. and then their decision mm-hmm. to open up and to engage that research increases. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it works. I was mentoring a student who's 50-50-50. Who's 50. He's half-half like I am. And he was he had never heard anybody talking about being in the both-and of identities and multi-ethnic until he heard me speak somewhere. And I was like, what? This guy was a PhD, yeah. probably 28. And he called me and he's like, look, we, ha- we I, you need to help me here with this because I'm having... I'm having an anxiety. I'm having a an identity attack. Yeah, like an identity crisis. Crisis. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I can't figure out how to reconcile my two worlds when I feel like I've negated one for mm, the other. Yeah, and he negated his his background of color for his what he thought was a foreground of whiteness. Right. Because of where he was situated with his PhD, yeah. which happened to be in Sten. Mm. And I said, "Listen, no." I say the fact needed. that you are a man of color yeah. moving into STEM. That is how your research is going to thrive. Yeah, that's is so when good. you bring all the aspects that you're ready to. Mm-hmm. All of the aspects of yourself that you're able to bring. And this is an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. I said at 45, I think he was 20. I don't know how old he is. At 45, you're going to be able to do it in a different way than you can now at 28. But you are going, as you're ready and as you're able, you need to unpack those aspects of yourself Mm -hmm. and, and don't apologize for inserting them into your research. It's really good. And anyway I, I don't mean to go on and on here but that kind of stuff is what matters and bringing inclusive environments is important and we can do it it takes work it takes a
1: lot of effort I mean I'm not gonna like I think you brought up so many good points like if you're if you have children of color or you're or um, or you're raising children of color you know it's exposure to like what you just said Renee, exposure to people that look like them is so critical. We all know representation matters. We say that all the time. You hear that all the time. I think I can't actually I think that if I've had thoughts like, what if I saw more people that look like me when I was growing up? What if I had dolls that look like me? What if there was a mixed girl somewhere on television? You know what I'm saying? Like there was- <laughs> There was, was one, one right down the street. There we was just one in, there was one yeah. interracial couple yeah. on TV yeah. that I remember, you know, from the the jeffersons or whatever and i just thought like i thought that was pure magic they didn't even have a child and i remember just glomming onto that representation is so important so if we can do that for our children and and reflect for them there's that um i cannot remember the researcher's name that gosh i really am so bad with names but she's a black Uh, educator she was kind of the first one to talk about books and we could say film and tv at this time too books are mirrors right Mm -hmm. they reflect back to us what we see um but books are also windows Mm -hmm. they let us see into other people's lives and so books or television or you know film and so we Mm -hmm. want our children of color reflected and then for, and, and white children should be reflected too, but we want our children of color especially to be reflected. But then we also want them to look in, you use those mediums as a way to look into other people's lives, especially also for white children to look into other people of color's lives, because like you were saying, and we know this, this is what builds empathy. Yes. This is what builds compassion. This is what lets them hold opposing viewpoints at the same time. This is what lets them not have a... a racial identity crisis because they are being reflected and they are being able they're also being able to see other people's yes ethnicities and cultures in a holistic way um something else you said was so good and now i just lost my train of thought but anyway i love what you were saying and i think too like we we get really oh i know what i was gonna say the the gentleman you were sharing about we can be really hard on ourselves i think people of color can be hard on themselves, if, especially if you're a, a biracial person or a multi-eth- multi-ethnic or multiracial, Um And it is really natural and normal. And if you're raising biracial children and you're listening to this, it's really natural and normal for there to be this undulating, yes. um, fluid racial identity. Yes. And Daniel Tatum talks about this too. And this is for all people of color, not just biracial people. Racial identity is an always ongoing yep. – development. There is never a time that that's done being formed, Yes, which should feel, I hope, comforting. Like I found that really comforting to think that is going to be a continuing growth in my life. There are times where I feel really connected to one side of my ethnicity and times where I don't. There are times where I feel like this really perfect blended mix of both. There are times where, I mean, it's a strange thing, but it's Mm -hmm. true. And that's really the case for all people of color in the sense that it can change, it will change, it will grow. And you'll learn more about yourself, your own identity. And kids need to be able to know that too, so that they don't feel stuck or feel ashamed or feel like they have no room to express different emotions around their, Mm -hmm. their race. Like it's okay. And that should be embraced. And that should also be communicated, I think, by the parent. Like if my parents, my black family was really good at talking about just race in an ongoing way. It was not – it was just normal, natural conversations. My white family was not nearly – really, they weren't. And they didn't know how to talk to me about being biracial. And if I think – if more of them had come to me and could have talked to me more casually and just normal about it, I think it would have done me really good. But yeah. it, it didn't happen. Yeah. And and that's – I'm just saying I want for those conversations, at least with my kids, to just be ongoing natural normal we just talk about it yeah it's not an extracurricular event it's yeah. part of our our family culture yeah
0: and sometimes my kids get sick of it like mom why are, why are we talking, talking to us about, about this, cultural right? intelligence again <laughs> and i'm like because it is it yeah. is and we all have to develop it and i think to your point nicole and and this refers all the way back to episode 1 where nicole and i did grow up in very multi ethnic um, atmospheres, and then when we became Christians, we suppressed that. Mm-hmm. But then it ultimately emerged, yeah. and I think for those of you who maybe wherever, whatever, however you identify, and however your kids identify, what you pour into them, mm-hmm. no matter what happens down the road, I think it's still there, yeah. and you can allow it to emerge. But I also want to speak very, very uh, pointedly to. Christians. Mm. And I want to say this. Recently, John Piper, Hmm. another so-called theologian, came out and said that empathy is not scriptural or biblical or whatever he said. It's not of God, whatever he said. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Dear Lord Jesus, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, help me now. Mm -hmm. If this man wants to um. Say that he is the poster child for God's will and word. Yeah, he can back all the way up, all the way with his misrepresentation and misidentification of the most high God. Absolutely, empathy is our ability to perspective take, it's our ability to feel and understand the emotions of other people mm-hmm. and why. It's so we can develop awareness about their needs. It's Mm -hmm. to develop a more equitable society. That's number one. So if you want to take a look at all of the things that Jesus did Mm. that were based out of empathy, Mm -hmm. I would like you to tell me whether or not empathy is scriptural or not. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you. You can tell me. (laughs) Number two, Mark Driscoll, another he, I don't even think he calls himself a theologian. Whatever he calls himself, yeah, what I don't does he care. call himself? He, he calls himself a big white king, jackass. King, so, king on high, king, king, of the hill. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. I'm sorry, I called him a jackass. I should not dehumanize somebody who is inherently worthy of being humanized. But Mark Driscoll can kick <laughs> kiss my brown butt. All right, <laughs> Mark effing Driscoll is on a Twitter TikTok. Instagram, whatever, spree, talking I about I haven't heard what? this. Do I want to know? Oh, I don't even about know what to know. Oh, he's talking about the evils of critical race theory. Oh, I
1: did know this. Mark Driscoll. Snooze.
0: What's new? Okay. He's, but here's the thing. He's, so now he is ta- mm-hmm. He's doing this to get on the train. He knows it's going to get more clicks. So he is clickbaiting he you. He is very much about the click. Uh, yeah. He bought… Hundreds of thousands of his own book to get himself on the yeah, New York Times bestseller list to look
1: like the yeah. dude. Anyway,
0: this is not about Mark Driscoll. It's about the message that has been sent by a lot of people who assume Christianity. And going back to Nicole's and my point of representation, nobody is saying not to read Ernest Hemingway. Nobody is saying that. People are saying, in addition to reading Ernest Hemingway, let's also read. Alice Walker and Andre Deboos and Hajin. All right, let's read all of them. And I did a presentation uh, a few days ago to corporate like mucky mucks. Most, everybody except for one person in the room was white. And I would say 90%, 80% were men. So I had to talk about privilege at one point. Then people were uncomfortable, but we had made an agreement beforehand to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I said if we want to actually change and these people really do want to change their yeah. company culture, if we want to change, you got to be uncomfortable. The impetus of change is discomfort. Right. So, I said we got to talk about privilege here. And I said, here's the thing. So many of us say that we earned what we did by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Mm-hmm all right, that actually is called attribution bias. Mm-hmm. It's when you say that I worked really hard right. you to get what I have. You should work hard too. But it's saying that you were lucky though. Attribution bias is saying I worked hard to get what I got. Oh, but you but were lucky. But you were lucky to get what you got. Mm-hmm. So when you hear, oh, affirmative action, right. that's all attribution right, bias. Right. Because yeah. I worked hard. right? All right. So that's that's that bias. So this is what it's saying though. We want every, and the American value of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps is inherent in Americanism. But let me tell you something about bootstraps. You gotta have some boots before you can pull yourself right. up by your bootstraps. Whiteness and maleness are your left and right boot. Mm-hmm. People who do not have whiteness or maleness. Mm-hmm. Are missing one of those boots. That's right. An equity lens, which comes via CRT, gives people boots Mm -hmm. because you can't tell everybody to pull themselves up by their bootstraps until everybody has the boots. And I think when we recognize nobody is taking away your boots. Yeah. Well, we are just saying we're going to give everybody boots. That's part of it. Because right now, whiteness is already the story, the story is already the white story. Yeah. But it's not the true story. It's not the whole story. The whole, the the whole, and the, but the whole story is not the true story, right? So if you if if any part of the story is not true, then the story is not a true story. Yeah.
1: Well, but the whole story implies that it's true, right? Doesn't it? I just like the word "whole" better. Okay, I give you that because I'm thinking of pieces that have been people's voices that have been. Excluded yeah. from being able to tell and have their stories heard. Yeah. So, um,
0: does that boot analogy make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And that's what we're saying here. So, if people come at you with CRT or people come at you about empathy and people come at you about these things, you back them all on up. Yeah. With the truth. Yeah, 100%. No, that was really good.
1: Yeah, I don't even, um, I mean, I don't even think about CRT in the sense of like, that's the way that I'm educating my children. I just think I'm telling people's stories. I'm telling the stories that need to be told and that have historically been left untold. And I mean, even just, yeah, that's kind of how I think of it. But I love, I love what you what you said. I think that's so good. Same
0: with yours. And I i wanted to be firm there because I know that a lot of different people are listening. And I think a lot of you, uh, you can think what you want to think, you can. But I think if you're willing to listen to us right now, this is what I think about some of the nonsense that's happening <laughs> on the social medias right now. I love it. Um, Anything else? Anything else that we do or
1: I mean, that's important for I us talking with our I think we talked about kids? some of the
0: questions that came in. I uh, we think we kind of talked about all of them um, was in an, in an, in, a, in a roundabout way without actually saying this was the question. So I'm proud of us about that. And then, I mean, I think the one thing I have is how do we, especially to girls of color, mm-hmm. how do we, especially if they've internalized a message at age two or three, mm-hmm. going back to the very right. beginning of this race conversation, right? Our daughters are saying, I don't like my curly hair. Mm-hmm. I wish my hair was straight. Mm-hmm. Why do I have brown eyes and not blue eyes? Why is my skin this and not? Right. What What is our response? I mean, our response, I think, is to be quiet. Because we don't – what do we – oh, baby, you're pretty. Yeah. Right? You're – Um, what w- – I guess my question and I'm going to hang I'm going to hang it up right here for you to answer in just a minute because I think it's also tucked under something else. Is prettiness actually the standard to which we are trying to have our children arrive? Mm, mm-hmm. That's number 1. But tucked under there I want to say one more thing before I forget it. This idea cuz I think all of the things for me embedded in parenting have to do with who I want to raise my children to be autonomous people who are free thinkers, who lead with empathy. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then like even the messages we send, this seems like a non sequitur, but hear me out, Yeah, of like after-school activities mm-hmm. and having our kids do all of the things. Yeah. In the same way that, that assuring our daughter that she's pretty mm-hmm. or that our son, that he's strong. Yeah in the same way we ask our children to do X, Y, Z extracurricular activities mm-hmm. and achieve, achieve, achieve. Mm-hmm. Isn't that perpetuating a capitalistic myth and narrative mm-hmm. saying I'm going to start grooming you now as a sixth grader or whatever yeah. to do all of these things to get you ready for this very harsh future yeah. in which you're going to have to grind, grind, grind yeah, without necessarily acknowledging your humanity. Yeah. And I, I look at that and I think, I don't want my kids to be overextended, extracurriculars. Yeah. A, because it overextends me and I don't feel like being, I can't be overextended right. at this point. And B, the great recession is, a hap- great resignation is happening right now in the United States because we learned during COVID that we could take a breath and things will still function. Correct. Especially from home. Yeah. And then companies now are saying, you've got to go back to work and people are like, Peace. That's reducing it a little bit, but I'm just for the sake of this argument, that's happening by and large. So my point here is we're sending this capitalistic message. We can be. I don't want to send that message to my kids. In the same way, I don't want my daughters to think that the be-all, end-all of their identities is prettiness.
1: Well, I think the part – okay. I think, well, you're asking two really big questions. The capitalists, you know – a uh, conveyor belt of schools and and education slash hustle grind mentality bo- boss mentality that's a separate thing that I'll, maybe I'll, i have some thoughts on but the the raising girls to want to be pretty question i think that's a little bit of a trick question tucked inside of the actual question because um i don't think either you or i are like overemphasizing to our girls like you're so pretty you're yep. pretty okay that's i i don't really even i mean uh, I sometimes tell Riley that. Really, Jonathan tells her like that she's beautiful, which I think it, I think it's really healthy coming from her dad to hear that, um, not me emphasizing like you need to look a certain yeah. way. However, because what you're really asking is why are bla- brown and black girls equating prettiness with whiteness? Yeah, yeah, that is the question. That's I'm actually asking. the question because if if we are hearing them say, I don't like my hair, I don't like my curly hair, why is my skin this color? Why don't I have light eyes? What they're actually doing is they're internalizing the message that, what we said, that whiteness is what's actually beautiful, that that's the ideal. You know, that's an old, um, (laughs) it's so fascinating to me and like heartbreaking when I think it through because that is the message that was sent like in America when there were enslaved people and then that's the message that was sent during Reconstruction and Jim Crow and and everything else to, to today. I mean, part of the reason that black women have such complicated relationships with their hair is because they've believed, a lot of people have believed for a really long time that white, blonde, straight hair is prettier and that black hair, especially if worn
0: naturally, is not
1: acceptable. It's or not professional. So many things. It's not as beautiful. It's it looks unkempt. It's not professional. It's not sophisticated. It's not elegant. It's not any of these things. And so that message that when you think about those things, I think like I don't want to over um, state it or like what's what am I trying to say. I think there are some generational stuff built into what we're talking about. I think generationally, I think spiritually, culturally, emotionally is built in. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of years of black women specifically being told that they're not the ideal beauty. And so that's really hard to get away from. Yeah. When we're you know, we can look around and be like, oh, well, there's more representation now. And there's this and there's this. But we're still so far, yeah. so far from girls that look like we know, you know, just children of color, just naturally, easily being reflected back to themselves. Yeah, We're still so far from that. But I think the more that that can happen for young women, especially, that, that to me is one of the... The healthiest things that we can do for their identity and their self-esteem. I mean, that's what I would what I would hope and what I would want. But like you had said, so much of this takes intentionality. Like this doesn't just happen.
0: No.
1: You have to seek this out. Yeah. You have to work to make sure your children are being exposed to people that look like them doing things that they want to do. In healthy environments. I mean, and it is a lot. And let's say that's
0: happening, and yet it's mm-hmm. still happening. And let, what you're two or three, and so maybe you are watching Dora the Explorer. And uh, who's, yeah. who's the doctor, the little doctor? She's black. McMuffins. Oh, McMuffins. McStuffins. 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 Yeah. And then I don't uh, – I'm all out now with My Little Pony. And um, – but, like, what does – because I'm thinking, I'm putting my, I'm perspective taking, I'm moving into an empathy lens here. And I am saying, okay, I'm combing my daughter's hair. And she says, mommy, I don't like having curly hair. I don't like, and I might be like, yeah, it was really sucked until I got good product, but I'm going to get you some good product. That's probably what I would say. Yeah, yeah, I just keep it real. But like, that doesn't necessarily, that that's a solution to the actual problem of it's not Having the root. unruly hair. Right. It's not the root. But it's not going to the root. How do we get – I mean, do you, well, I'm do just you saying, have the answer? I'm
1: just saying, think of like shows that Ariel watches.
0: I mean, now what does she watch? She watches Gilmore Girls.
1: Who looks like her? Anyone on television? No. Anybody have curly hair even close to hers? No. I can think of all the – I can think of shows that my girl – my daughter watches. Nothing. No one. Think of teachers around her – or None of her teachers coaches, are, of or um, people at the grocery store, people checking her out somewhere. Her doctors. I mean, I look like her. That's period. it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm saying yeah, that's, that's the point. Yeah. If you're a white girl, like, just think of a white girl that you know, yeah. or just use Eva because white presenting. Yeah. Do more people around Eva look like Eva?
0: Yeah. Eva's allowed yes. to dress
1: up like Jojo Siwa. She's allowed to dress she up like looks old like, school. She, can, right. she dresses up saying. like all of them. So she automatically, just by the virtue of how she looks, has more people around her reinforcing
0: yeah.
1: the way she looks mm. as being the normal, as yeah. being the acceptable. That is just... So these children aren't like taking this message in like, oh, this person looks like me, this person looks like me. I mean, maybe they are to some extent. I remember thinking like, nobody looks like me. I do remember thinking that. But all day long, everywhere you go – you message. the message is being reinforced. This person doesn't look like me, this person, this person is called beautiful, that person doesn't look like me, that person's called beautiful, that person doesn't look like me. Yeah.
0: Is this an ongoing thing? So how do we actually address it? Like let's let's say, I mean, I told you how I would address it. I would address it very like just scientifically, let's get better product. But again, that's not going to the <laughs> Listen, root. Hair product is no
1: small thing. No, that's true. Saying. Um but no, like I, what, what I was it, saying, I'm, it, it, it has to be myself, intentional. Yeah. It has to be people that look you have to be. Around people that look like you. But what
0: if you are? But you don't count. No, no, no. I mean, I'm not even talking about this. This hadn't happened with Ariel. I'm talking about the person who's talked to me at that oh, bridal yeah. shower. Right. right. I'm picturing her with her daughter. Yeah, and yeah. Thinking, oh, I got you. I don't know who they yeah, all yeah, yeah. hang out with, but I'm imagining if You have this conversation. Yeah. Okay.
1: You say, do you, do you know that black is beautiful? Oh, yeah. Do you know that... The the ideal beauty isn't just this. Yeah. (gasps) That beauty looks like this and beauty looks like this. And I mean, again, we're not talking about just emphasizing like a girl being beautiful. That's not really the point. We're talking about identity. It's what we're actually talking about is identity. It's true. And it is worth, is self-worth and and value. the,
0: The um the stereotypes that we internalize, whether we're white or black. Yesterday Ariel told me this was so good. I loved effing response so she's like mom she's like this kid and he's white and she's like you know he was he said something about how there's no wealth in africa and there's no way that any african can be wealthy and i was like excuse me and she goes oh she's like and i was like okay how'd you handle that Yeah, what'd she say and she said well the teacher was just teaching us about the kings of africa yeah so i turned to him and and he she said Uh, This is what Ariel said to the boy. She said, "Um, the European colonizers were jealous, which is why they went to Africa (laughs) to steal the king's wealth. That's right. She's like, you don't think Africans are rich? How could there be kings? That's right. And I was like, damn! (laughs) Damn! I was like, way to go, seventh grader. And I was real proud of her. And That's I great. Like, yeah, she's, she might be pushing back on all my cultural intelligence stuff. Like, beautiful Mom, response. Mom. Now she's internalizing, she's that, internalizing that message. She's internalizing it. So keep keep preaching to your kids. And, so you good. know, everyone – sometimes it'll backfire, but sometimes it'll come around.
1: Listen, I don't know of a child, you know, like Beckett is blonde-haired, blue-eyed, fairest of them all doesn't look like he came from my womb at all. (laughs) He has all my Norwegian blood in his body. He is hardwired for justice. And the stuff he says about racism, the stuff he says about police brutality, it is adult level critical thinking. He can get to the heart of the issue. He's 10. He asks questions that take my breath away sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, damn, that is the question, yeah. what he says, because he, he's been – well, yes, he's been listening, I think, you know, hopefully to me and Jonathan. But also he's just like that, but he's in an environment where that can happen and he yeah. can be supported and he can be listened to. And we have these hard conversations in an ongoing way and we don't just sweep them under the rug or or – And if we don't know, this is another thing, which we should know, we say. If you don't – if we don't know – it's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. If I've had to say to my kids a lot, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why that's happening. That's a good question. It's a hard question. I'm going to find out for you. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to look some stuff. I'm going to come back to you. There, That is perfectly okay, especially around the issues of race and racism, because we don't know everything and we won't know everything. And it's an ongoing process. It's a lifelong process. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't wait to see what Beckett grows up to do. I think is he gonna go to college? Is he gonna just read on his own? Is he gonna be like Jack Kerouac? Or is he gonna be like a PhD scholar? I don't know. I think He could go out go, uh, any one of our kids he could go I know, any it's which true. way. And if He's my wild card though. He's my yeah, wild card. Yeah, he is. And I and I do I, Eva's my wild card. And yeah. and Eva and Beckett are very, very <laughs> uh, are. close. Uh, you yeah, know, they're the same age but they're just, they've like been knit together it's It's really cool and she's my wild card too but um i'm sure there's a lot of other stuff we probably could have talked about but and look you reach out to us uh, you know hi at Hiya. Not only but.com. <laughs> you us. can email us there. You can get us on Instagram. You can Facebook message us. We're suggest. very easy but to find. But on Facebook, I am not on, I don't like Facebook. I'm like never anymore. on Facebook. And we forget to either. post on there. So just Instagram us at Noba. What are we at Instagram? <laughs> Noba Podcast
1: at Noba Podcast. We are not bougie. We are not um, exclusive. We and are I'm not, not on TikTok. We're not fancy. You can find us anywhere and talk to us. Well,
0: Some of y'all see us as a target, and you're like, "What's up, Renee, Nicole?" And that's fine too. That is true. Look, I'm just saying. If you still have a question, yes, you can ask it. I don't know that we'll, you know, maybe you can't if there guarantee are an more answer. Questions.
1: This would actually be a good one to do, like a um, IG Live yeah. questions. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll leave it up to y'all. And if you hopefully we may have been thorough enough. maybe we just we were so thorough. Maybe. <laughs> I
0: thought it was a pretty okay conversation, <laughs> if great. I don't say so myself. You may. I agree with and you. And you know, I will say somebody did reach out to me. It was actually from a different country, too, and was very upset about our part two of the body image episode, in which this person did start listening. And um, we had we had talked about, um, you know, how thinness has been kind of uh, set as the standard of beauty, similar to whiteness, and that I did make a me- I did mention that, you know, sometimes they look like boys. And that was wrong of me to gender a body type. It was wrong of me. And I apologize to this person over email, and I'm apologizing to you now because we have to own our mistakes. And I was talking, and listen, I was coming out of a trigger. Listen, there's no even thing. I, yeah, was, just, yeah. I was upset. I gendered a body type. It was wrong, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome for saying that. Apparently, I also said forte into, their forte into instead of foray into. Who okay, cares? I did not hear that. I said jump the shark and it was wrong. I, um, I repent of that <laughs> <laughs> grammatical error. No, you don't have to repent I'm totally of kidding. That. I don't. It's hard to sit here and talk for a long time,
0: especially if you're nervous <laughs> or triggered or whatever. Or tired, or, or boozy. Or, or boozy. I was gonna say we, we have no booze. Or in two, us right three
1: wine glasses deep, then you know how. It we'll goes. never do that again. No, I'll never, never do, do, that do that again. Ever again. i was stone cold sober for this one, baby.
0: Me too. I just had a cup of coffee with some mocha mint creamer. It good? Oh, it was my life. It was <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: my creamer. Yeah, it was That's your good. creamer. <laughs> I opened that baby up and I frogged it.
0: Frogged the baby. So.
1: Okay, well, this is Nova signing off, and thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for being here. We appreciate you so. Yes, I think I'm done with the peace business. Are you? We can't just leave.
1: We can't just stop. You can't just quit your – Okay,
0: bye. Okay, peace. can't okay,
1: bye in the Middle East. All
0: right. Toots. <laughs> Totes. toots. But <laughs> even now her new word is, Mom, that's so cringy. Cringy. Yeah, that was a little cringy. You said toots. toots. <laughs> I'm 40 effing four years old. I don't, I don't know. That's
1: right. Point proof. Okay, goodbye. Right. Peace.
0: We did that part. Oh, yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. So here's what we would love for you to do. Rate. Review. Subscribe. And tell us how much you love us because we are just so lovable. <laughs> so lovable. But it actually does
1: make a difference and it does help people find this podcast if you like this podcast and you care about not only but also you know if you drop a little line there on apple podcasts and
0: give us a little review it actually means something it does and on facebook on instagram and on any of these kinds of things listen if we in any way have helped you see the both and better let other people know so they too can see more clearly we are Nova podcast everywhere Thank you.